Welcome to Boulder People. Uh, this episode might be a little bit difficult to classify, but we don't care. Uh, I'm just going to start out by introducing Jonathan Woodard. Uh, he's a Michigan native, uh, studied computer science at U of M before uh, working as a software developer and founding a few different startups. Uh, he's known around town for board games, CrossFit, Paleo. Um, he's the VP of Engineering at Rap Media. Uh, welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Sean. It's <laughs> uh, great to be here. Nice. Um, so in my mind, Jonathan's sort of the unofficial mayor of Boulder, the tech scene at least. Uh, he's... I don't deserve that title anymore, for sure. Uh, he's pretty well connected. Um, we met a couple years ago at BOCC, and he added me to Goya, which was awesome. The Get Off Your Ass group. Uh, his most recent presentation at Ignite kind of changed my impression of him. You know, he's not uh, he's got some serious nerd cred. He's not just a muscular blonde guy with perfect hair. And uh, he's always willing to help out and introduce friends. He's, he's introduced me to countless people around town, and he's working on cool stuff like Flightless, Valor. Um, I want to talk about short story RPG, and I could interview him all day, but um, it's more interesting to talk to people about who they admire. And uh, so today he's invited Jared Coleman, uh, the owner at Pro Photo Rental, to, to meet with us as well. So welcome, Jared. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, yeah, so Jared owns Profoto Rental. They do a rent-out camera equipment all over the world. Uh, they have a lot of incredible equipment. I have gotten equipment from them for on a number of occasions. Uh, I've shot some sporting events with equipment that I've gotten from him, uh, as well as uh, when Rich Malloy shot the Highland Games that I competed in. He got a sweet set of equipment from Jared and got some incredible photographs. Uh, Jared is also... Uh, super hardcore. He and I did the Go Ruck Challenge together last January. Uh, and from there, Jared actually went on to do the Go Ruck HCL, which is one of their more serious series of events. Um, he's super tough, but also incredibly modest. He's actually blushing as I'm describing him <laughs> as a badass. It doesn't, you don't seem like a, a total badass. It's, it's, it's not... It, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. Um, thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. I'm flattered. Uh, it's very kind of you to say, um, yeah, like they tell you, it's it's so much uh, mental, and I think that's, maybe that's it, it's just on the inside. Um, Brianna May does photos for Boulder People, and we've had a couple of cool interviews together already, and uh, she has a, a, a relationship with Jared as well. Yeah, so I used to work at ProPhoto for four and a half years, four years, something like that, so I've known Jared for a really long time, and um, well really long time, I suppose, four years. <laughs> but um, I can I can also attest to his how badass he is. So yeah, out there, he would come to work Getting every day rabbit. with something new. <laughs> like, I just found this cool skateboard that I'm going to get, and I think recently he was into dirt biking. <laughs> oh, I was driving down Canyon last weekend, and I was behind a trailer with an ATV on it. And as I pull around it at the light, Jared shouts out the window at me, hey, I'll see you next week for the podcast. <laughs> really? It's a real story? It's a real story. <laughs> yeah, so um, talk about like most active person makes me feel really lazy. Um, but anyway, and then Jonathan and I met relatively recently um, at Boulder Open Coffee Club. Sean introduced the two of us. Um, and oddly enough, I've, I've known, I've met, not really but I've known Jonathan through different outlets. Um, he happened to get me some photography gigs, and then I didn't really know who he was. Or 
until until uh, we decided that we wanted to, to talk to you about the cool things that you've done and didn't realize that you had been friends with Jared either. When I realized who you were, I was like, oh, you're that Jonathan. Yeah, right. So, you were working there when I yep. would come and get equipment. Yep. Yeah, That's true. Would you mind explaining how you got to Boulder and then how you guys met again? I think you mentioned it quickly, but... Oh, yeah. Um, so I moved to Boulder in the summer of 2010. Uh, my girlfriend at the time got sick of working in the auto industry around Detroit, so she was recruited by one of her old coworkers to uh, an automotive company out here, and uh, I decided Boulder sounded like a great place, so I packed up the house, moved out here, um, and started doing freelance work, and then once I was in the startup community, there was no leaving, so even when that relationship didn't work out, it was, Boulder was my new home, and uh, sort of, you know, I love it here, and sort of, I'm stuck. And you went over to, uh, to just rent equipment? Is that how you... Um, I think I actually met Jared through a mutual friend, um, Jason Janelle. Yes. And I met Jason when he did his... Possibly when he did his Ignite talk. You didn't know him before that? Ah, uh, maybe. Um, well, he, I, don't, I don't remember. Yeah. I, yeah, but I met I met Jason through probably Boulder Open Coffee Club or um, or through Ignite or something like that. And uh, I take it you guys are pretty good friends and, oh, yeah. and neighbors potentially. And um, uh, yeah, and then you were around at some event and we sort of hit it off. And then uh, um, I think when we really got to know each other was when I posted on Facebook that I was going to do the Go Rock Challenge, and uh, there was a buy one, get one, there's a buddy offer for that, and so we signed up together. That's right. Um, and we ended up doing it with uh, Jonathan McMahon and a friend of his, so the four of us did that um, in Colorado Springs. That was yeah. that was pretty awesome. That was and an incredible bonding experience. Absolutely. I was just getting ready to say, if anything's going to make you good friends, it's something like that. So that sort of shared struggle, that uh, um, yeah, effort that we put out together. Yeah, a little, um, actually a little bit of background on GoRock, because I don't know if um, anybody knows what that is. Uh, it's, uh, GoRock is a, an equipment, sort of a mil-spec equipment company. They make backpacks, gear bags, all sorts of things like that. And is as a way to test and prove their equipment, they came up with this series of events. And the crux of the event is you're supposed to buy one of their bags, and then you fill their backpack with bricks, and then you spend 12 hours traipsing through rivers and forests and God knows what um, in sort of a SEAL training style um, endurance event uh, where they're telling you what to do. There's uh, you pretend fire hydrants or IEDs and they have to be disarmed along the side of the road. Uh, and there are all these rules. Your bag can't touch the ground. You have to carry an American flag. The American flag can't touch the ground. Uh, and there's a um, uh, cadre who runs the event and is telling you what to do, and you basically have to do whatever he says, whenever he says it. Um, and it's uh, it's really incredible team-building experience, and uh, it's hard, but the hardest thing is definitely the mental toughness that goes into it. And what, you're just a masochist, or how did you even become interested in doing things like that? Yeah, it's interesting, because I, um, I'm really into outdoor pursuits, and one of those outdoor pursuits is mountaineering. And uh, mountaineering is one of those things where you know, you're, you're pushing yourself to a limit. Um, you're always kind of expanding. I, I kind of liken it to uh, a balloon, like you're expanding the, your envelope of, of how much you can take. And not because, not be out of masochism or something like that, but just 
you you've got to be tough. You've got to be hard to kill in the mountains. In other words, you know, if you're up there and it's just you, or or you're on a big expedition or something like that, there is no like turning back and and just going home. So I think that started my exploration of what can I do? What am I capable of mentally, physically, those sorts of things? And these kind of challenges I liked because it's not a race. You're not competing against the person next to you. You're working with them to achieve an objective. And that really struck a chord with me and, and got me thinking about the teamwork aspect as well as the individual um, envelope expansion, if you will. You know, how much, like I was saying earlier, how much can you take? Right. Everyone on the team is really responsible for themselves. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you're responsible for your compatriots. That's right. So, yeah, that was that was how I got involved with it. And um, actually, I think I saw the post that Jonathan put on Facebook and was like, well, that sounds interesting. One click led to another. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. You know what I mean? So that's um, that's how it, it led from one thing to the other. So um, one of the things I'm actually really interested in when you're talking about, like, expanding the, the balloons and, and incredible metaphor, um, how has that um, impacted the rest of your life? Like, uh, raising a family, building a business. Yeah, I think it gives you a lot of perspective. Um, it's funny because I use it both ways. Sometimes when I'm on an event like that, I'll think about other parts of my life that I struggle with and think, okay, this physical event is nothing compared to that. But then when the event is over and I'm back uh, at home or in a normal life, I also reverse that and think, okay, I've been doing flutter kicks in, you know, 25 degree air while my, my pants are still wet, you know, with river water. So that's, that's not the same as this. So they sort of feed into each other and give you this ability to say, I can do this. It, it allows you to step back or allows me to step back from the circumstances and say, I can do this. Um, now, <laughs> An interesting thing that I've just discovered on this latest series of events is that it has also, un the unfortunate downside is that it, it has left me a little bit less empathetic to people who aren't willing to push themselves. And I really have to watch myself to uh, interact with those people, or, or my kids even, my wife, people who um, that I care for. I want to push them to get the best out of them, but they need to decide what that is for themselves. I, I'm not the person to say, you got to push yourself. You got to be tougher, you know, um, that sort of thing. Oh, sure. I can, I can really, I can relate to that. Okay. For sure. Yeah. It's, it was an interesting side effect that I just have, have recently come to, to see. Um, and as long as I'm aware of it, I think it's, it's not necessarily a downside. I just need to be aware of it. Interesting. <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, I, I'm not nearly as active as either of you, so to put it in perspective like that is interesting because um, I haven't had to relate the two of them together. To push myself um, physically and then relate it to something mentally, mm -hmm. I never put, never put that together. So that's really, that's a really cool look on it. I like that. Well, and it's interesting because you know they always say at these events, this event is is they throw out a percentage, eighty percent mental and 20% physical. Yeah. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with the percentages, but the point is people are capable of doing so much more than they think they are. And, right. and it's just a matter, I just recently read this, this is not for me, but it's a matter of finding your why. 
if your why is powerful enough, you are uh, capable of achieving amazing things. Like, can you get on your bike and ride 200 miles right now? Maybe not. What if it was to go save your kids from drowning? Mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's a poor, uh, weak example, but you get my Yeah, point. odds like, are like, there's no time. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but point being, like, yeah, yeah. right, if... If your why is powerful enough, you can make yourself do it. So, um, yeah. well, it's like when you hear stories about people deadlifting a car off of a family member. Right. When oh, there's no way you could have deadlifted 300 pounds before. Right. Then with the adrenaline pumping, and I like I like the why. That's a good uh, yeah. good comparison because that really that does bring it to focus. Yeah. So yeah, of all the people in Boulder. Um, Jonathan decided to bring you in here. It's pretty cool, right? I mean, I am extraordinarily flattered. I, in fact, I, when I first got the invitation, I thought this is must be for another reason. You know, like uh, you know, just another business owner in town, that sort of thing. So thank you. Um, that it means a lot. And again, I'm flattered. But how did you end up in Boulder? And are there other people? Say, I ask you that next week. You know, mm -hmm. who, who would you? Who would come to the top of your mind? Yeah, I mean. Um, I guess I'd have to think about it. Uh, there's there's nobody that jumps out at me. Uh, you know, Jonathan mentioned Jason earlier, and Jason's been a great friend of mine. I think he's tied into the scene here pretty well. Um, he's been here longer, well, yeah, basically longer than I have. Um, and uh, because of his job, he's a systems administrator, he has a lot of ties to the tech scene, especially. This is Jason? Jason Janelle. Okay. Yep. Um, so I probably... I'd probably put him on the list for sure. You didn't have any mentors or people that got you going when you started the business? Or? I didn't. And the story behind that is, um, so I came to Boulder originally in 1995. Um, I came to school here. So I was 18. Um, I went to CU, uh, got a mechanical engineering degree, and then left town in 2000 to take a job in Phoenix. And I was gone for six years, came back in 2006, to um, start Profoto Rental. And I started that company out of my house. I was raising my daughter, stay-at-home dad kind of situation, and this was a job that I could do um, while still being at home to take care of her. So, no, I didn't I didn't have a mentor. I, you know, I, I wonder how much bigger, how much more profitable, whatever metric you want to put on it, the business could be if I did have a mentor. Um, but, you know, that being said, it's been a very supportive community. Uh, there's lots of people who have, uh, I've bounced ideas off of along the way. Some who are still here, some who have moved on to other things. But, uh, Is there a business lesson that you want to, just if you had to pick one, you know, what's the, what's the secret? Oh, boy. Um, you know, find the pain point of your customer um, and really look at, their pain point through their eyes. Try and get their perspective on things. Understand why they're wanting to give you their money, um, and sort of that that empathy side of things. Figure it out. Look at it through through their uh, perspective. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's not easy to do. It's it's at least for me, it's not easy to do. And I, but I think it leads to a lot of things because you start understanding you're not. It, what you offer uh, as a solution to their problem, if you just have this solution and say, all right, here's the solution, now all you people with problems, come find it. It's, I don't think that's a very wise way of looking at it and, and solving their problems. Whereas if you say, you know what, 
there's an issue, like for me, there's an issue with the rental market. It's not really run very well. It's sort of uh, a drag to have to drive back and forth to places that only have set hours and all this stuff. So why can't we do this on the net, on the web, get this such that we can, um, you know, ship things back and forth to people? That's That was the genesis of it. It was my own pain point. Like I rented equipment from, from uh, companies when I was in Phoenix, and I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so... I try to apply that same perspective to growing the business and, and being empathetic. Are you applying that perspective uh, with Flightless, Jonathan? <laughs> uh, f- uh, you know, Flightless is more um, is more about entertainment, really, than um, than anything than solving any sort of specific pain point. I feel like you kind of are, though. Aren't you kind of scratching your own itch? Um, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, scratching my own itch in that I want to develop and publish board games, and <laughs> that's exceptionally difficult to do. So in that sense, yes. Um, but in, uh, in some ways, it's, it's almost more of just a way for me to explore some of these products that I want to put together and, and get out there and, um, and work on them. I guess, I mean, I guess I sort of group uh, Ignite Ticket Swap under the umbrella of Flightless at this point. Uh, and that was a, a pain point where, um, you know, people don't buy their Ignite tickets in time and then they go begging on Twitter and then people seem to have extras and they try and meet up and uh, you know it seemed like it would be a lot more efficient to just sort of broker that in one web application and it's been pretty successful. I think there's been uh, probably 25 tickets swapped on there over the last three Ignites which is actually quite a few given that they're all sold out and people actually want to go. Yep, I would. Uh, one, one of those, so what, 4%? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Significant. Uh, You've got a cool board game called Valor, which I've played. Um, the most interesting thing, I think, is your short story RPG. Are you even uh, comfortable talking about that? Or? Yeah, uh, totally. Um, so I uh, actually just bought the domain uh, like last week. Um, so one of, the, one of the other sort of spaces that I've, I've been exploring with Flightless is uh, it, it's uh, sort of right now is tentatively called Short Story RPG, and it solves some interesting things about um, the role-playing genre. Because the role-playing genre is actually a really interesting way to tell a story, where you have a narrator, and then you have people taking on the roles of characters in the story, and then each of those people are, uh, they're responsible for all the decisions that their character makes. So it's part, you know, dinner party theater, part um, acting, part, you know, just storytelling. Um, And the problem with that method, I mean, it sounds great as I describe it right there, but... That's sort of been in lockstep with uh, with fantasy RPGs for a long time, like Dungeons and Dragons or whatnot. And so there's a game going there's on, by the way. Actually, a game of Dungeons and Dragons going on on the other side of the Raft Media office right this minute. Uh, <laughs> and so, and there's a lot of people I feel like are missing out on this really interesting way to tell a story because they're driven off by the wizards and the swords and the dragons. Um, and on the flip side, the people who are into those things. Uh, it's extremely difficult to get the number of people together on a regular basis. It's really hard to schedule a recurring thing on five adults' calendars. Um, and so to try and solve both of those problems, what I am trying to put together is a, um, a, a, a role-playing game that is based on short stories. So each one is totally packaged up. Um, the characters are pre-built. They have backstories. They have relationships with the other characters and uh, a narrator who has uh, sort of um, traditional style um, RPG scenario basically baked together 
and they can tell the story. And there's a really, really simple dice mechanic to determine the difficulty of things. Say, say you're on a train going through the Alps, and Sean, you decide you want to jump from the roof of one train car to the roof of the train car next to it. Seems like a thing that you would do. I'm going for it. Um, and What's your why? Yeah. <laughs> question. That's good. I should yeah. bake that in. Uh, and then so there's one simple dice mechanic using um, basic dice rather than the really confusing polyhedral dice that come along with uh, so many um, so many other of these tabletop games. And so sort of trying to bring that to a mass market at the same time as making it more accessible, even to the people who are already in that space, but don't want but or have trouble with a sort of scheduling piece. I mean, I've been in, I've been in two D and D campaigns that have fizzled out because it's gone too many months between between uh, play sessions because it's too hard to get them scheduled. Not in the set. I, I are you a gamer or do you just think it's a good idea? I think it's a great idea. I actually have never played D and I've played other role playing games, and everything that he's saying, you know, going back to the pain point issue, is absolutely true for me. Um, those, you know, how difficult it is to schedule things, um, and they're really intricate and detailed, and that's the cool part about it, but it's kind of its own downfall as well, because it means necessarily that it's going to be complex, and that it's going to take a long time to play out. The other thing is that, um, I'm guessing this narrator that you're talking about subs for the GM, for the Game exactly. Master. Exactly, yeah. Which that, you know, a GM, a good Game Master is crucial to having a good experience. They've got to know what they're doing and have done it enough times. And finding that person can often be difficult as well. Um, so this solves a lot of problems, and I would tell you absolutely, not just because you're my friend, but I would absolutely be interested in a product like this. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's amazing. Going back to my friend Jason, uh, his family and my family get together every Friday for game night. And this would be perfect for us because we need a a packaged solution that we can finish in a game night. Even though we get together every week, we don't want the game to go, you know, cross week. Um, let's just get it over with. We'll play for several hours and have a great time. So, what do you anyway. Mean? Yeah, I would be down for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, this is the first you've heard of any of that, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, this is the first I've heard of, of this game, but, um, I mean, I was, I really, I do like the wizards and the, <laughs> see but there's but, room for that too so yeah. once there's a library of a few of these different you know one-off adventures you know there's definitely room for there to be like the you know the tolkien knockoff or the, yeah i would know. yeah that absolutely and i really do like the idea of a, a shorter game because i i love the idea of role-playing games and um but i really don't have the attention span for that <laughs> Yeah. I, uh, my own, like, interest will, will fizzle out before, um, you know, if you, like you say, take sure. a couple months, yeah. months before you can play the next one, but I would probably just kind of get bored and like, okay, what's the, what's the next story? Yeah, what's the right. next thing that we're on to? I'm kind of done with this. Do the same thing. I, it's kind of a common theme for, like, mini games that I right. play or right, right. Even, even books that I read. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I really like that idea a lot. That would be cool. So, yeah, I have, um, right now I have two stories are underway. One, um, one that I started and it was really only intended as a, as a test of the, of the mechanics, but it's kind of coming together pretty well. So I'm talking to some writers to have them, you know, clean up my whatever pedestrian 
prose in the story because <laughs> it's all pretty stilted. Um, so having them clean that up a little bit. Uh, I play tested that last week with actually with the group that's playing Dungeons and Dragons in the room. Um, and there's another story being written by uh, a friend of mine in Denver, and it's a uh, it's an homage to a classic cartoon. That's cool. So nice. yeah, it's sort of an interesting range of oh, and the one that the one that I tested last week is sort of a Indiana Jones 1930s jungle romp kind of story. Do you want to talk about Valor, or are there some other things you want to hit on before you? Uh, no, I think that's the other other exciting thing. Uh, so Valor is a board game that I've been working on for probably two two years at this point. I guess the I originally put pen to paper back in Michigan, so that was that was four years ago. I first started taking notes on the sort of things I wanted to do with it. Um, but uh, it's a board game that's based on the Gallic War, and this was when Julius Caesar decided that he um, he should take over Gaul uh, for various reasons. Some that he exposed to history, some that um, were sort of theorized later by other people. Uh, he was broke. Um, he needed to regain some of his stature in Rome, and it turned out that Gaul was exceptionally rich. Um, the inspiration from the game for the game was a series of uh, TV shows that Terry Jones from Monty Python did called Barbarians. He's sort of, I guess he's an amateur historian, and he did a series on six of the and it, and it, the enemies of the Roman Empire, and he went and looked at them. And so, because the Romans won all of these wars, the Romans got to paint the portrait of history, and so they painted them as these barbarians who were these uh, whatever loincloth wearing you know forest dwellers. When in actuality, their level of civilization in some cases met and exceeded that of Rome, and their technology was similar. You know, just like right now, you know, you can go anywhere in the world and you're still going to see cell phones, not anywhere in the world, but most places in the world, you're going to see cell phones, computers, internet, electricity, like, even though we don't think about those things necessarily as like being like in other places, that was sort of the case in, uh, in classical times too. So a lot of things have been unearthed about the Gallic Empire that actually make them really, really interesting. And they were actually, um, in some ways more socially progressive than uh, the Romans, for sure. Like some of their um, some of their tribes were matriarchal. Um, they did um, some other interesting technology things that are all slipping my mind right now. Um, they had a really elaborate road system, um, and uh, it's like very like germane system of taxes and and whatnot. Um, anyway, the board game focuses on um, focuses on the Gallic the Gallic Empire. So each player takes on the role of a chieftain. And it's sort of co-oppetitive, where each chieftain is attempting to um, build up their own their own tribes, but at the same time, they were not actually a unified um, you know race or empire. They were actually sort of a, a confederation of, of tribes, and so they're sort you're sort of competing for resources on the board at the same time that Julius Caesar is making this inexorable march across the board, and he's taking over city after city. And so this incredible culture was basically wiped out, except for this diary that Julius Caesar kept as he invaded. And the tribes that he makes the most note of were the ones that were the most difficult to conquer. And so the the chief scoring mechanic in the game is how much of a pain in the ass you were to take over. So as Julius Caesar's marching across modern-day France and Germany and Belgium, uh, he's making notes in a particular part of the board. He's making notes on how difficult your how well 
um, well fortified, yeah, uh, developed, fortified uh, your uh, your empire was. And so at the end of the game, the one the the people that you remember when you read through the diary are the ones who essentially won history, even though their you know their way of life was wiped out. But I thought it was really interesting to focus on the ways that these these tribes interact with each other and the ways that they um, the way that they develop things and the way that they uh, and sort of the, sort of the way that they live. Even though normally you know you hear a lot about the Romans and their aqueducts and their cities and their armies and all that, um, thought it was interesting to take a look at the other, sort of the flip side of that. That's intense. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. Okay. I feel like I also just had a crash course history lesson. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's yeah. It's been fun. I started uh, the first few versions of it were um, were bad. Um, and <laughs> through a lot of, a lot of play testing, um, it's sort of getting more and more refined. And then, uh, I actually, at one point I had to answer some really hard questions about the history because I had a really, really historically smart play tester who was asking me all sorts of detailed <laughs> questions and I did not have answers for them. So I actually had to go back and spend a lot more time with the original source document. So I went back and like read Caesar's diary end to end, took a bunch of notes on it. Um, and then like redid the revision because like on the one hand it's a fun game i would yep i had a lot of fun i got uh destroyed along with everyone else but <laughs> but it was cool I, my spot in the in the diary i had one one entry at the beginning and then one triumphant entry at the at the end so uh yeah i'm pretty happy about that uh but at the same time i think one of the <laughs> one of the niches that it can really really play to is people who are history buffs there's a lot of people out there who are um, you know, big fans of Roman history and that that era in general. And I think uh, the closer I can keep the the game to those sort of historical um, whatever things we know about history, then the more interesting it is for them. As long as it doesn't take away from the sort of fun, right? That's because that's the, at the end of the day, that's the it's the point of a of a board game. I love that idea. The valor board game. I won't say it. Do you have any questions? Please gather for your old boss. <laughs> he taught you. I'm sure. I, don't I mean, I, I uh, spent almost every day for about four years with Jared. There's, <laughs> it's I I know a lot. I just have to think of what I would ask him if I didn't know. Is it cool to see your going out doing your own thing? It's absolutely cool. And you know, I I tell everybody this um, when people come in now, they're they were so used to seeing Brianna uh, as sort of the face of Pro Photo Rental, honestly. And so they'll come in and say, "Oh, where's where's Bri?" If they haven't been in for a while. And, um, and it's, it's fun to be able to tell the story and, and say, yeah, you know, she's, she's doing her thing and, and, uh, hated to see her leave, but love the reasons why. So, <laughs> you know, it's bittersweet in that regard. Um, you know, to, to see somebody, uh, I hate to use the word grow up because there wasn't, there wasn't an immaturity, <laughs> but, but to just see them grow, I guess, you know, and, I mean, and do their, their I feel thing. like I grew up. I grew up. I grew up real good. I can tell. <laughs> I I feel like I grew up because I started working there when I was eighteen, and um, left just before I was twenty three. And um, Jerry was talking about how when he was uh, started Pro Photo, how he didn't have any mentors. But Jared's definitely been a mentor through for me for like everything. So that's been just amazing to to have to have a a role model like that and to see somebody who started their own thing without much um, you know support from other people or or mentors or anything like that 
and to know that, you know, I something that I could do too. And that's kind of what inspired me to go out there and do my own thing. So, but of course, I left with a mentor. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, I would say, in short, my connection with, with Jared. Um, I guess, why don't you tell us a little more about ProPhoto and what you're doing with it? Yeah, well, are there, is there anything coming down the pipe in the future that you want to do, do differently? or? Well, it's interesting the way the business has changed. Um, you know, as I, as I said before, when I started, it was to solve this pain of, of access, really, for people who may not live in a metro area with a camera store that rents equipment, um, or maybe they work nine to five and can't get in to get the equipment so delivery is necessary, things like that. Um, I thought that was going to be really the strongest direction that the business would go. As it turns out, um, our business has shifted so much that now most of our clients are those people who do come into the store. Um, that's that's the, our greatest source of business at this point. And I don't have a problem with that. There's, there's no sort of judgment to how the business has changed. And I think it's um, just important to understand that change. And quite honestly, I appreciate having local people um, come in to meet them, to discuss, you know, bring up the pain point again, to, to really talk to them and say, hey, what are you shooting? What are you doing? You know, um, if somebody comes in asking for advice, it's not, you don't jump immediately to equipment. You say, well, you know, what are you trying to achieve? That sort of thing. And to have that ability to go back and forth is, has been a good thing. So the business is growing more locally. And unfortunately, our original website uh, was not really optimized for that. It was optimized more for uh, what I who I thought the clients were going to be the shipping, you know, out of state type people. Um, so we are uh, in the process of developing a new website that will be, uh, that will allow for both uh, branches, if you will, uh, either a shipped uh, customer or a local client coming in uh, for a local pickup and, and making that easier for them. You know, the other big thing that's changed in the, in the business is the advent of video. Um, the, the lines are getting much more blurred between what is uh, still photography and what is motion photography, as it were. Um, and, and sort of once video became available on DSLRs and became much more accessible to people, along with things like the iPhone, and, and uh, video is just more of a part of our lives these days in, in every regard. And because of that, of course, the price has come down on all those things. More people are using it. And, um, and doing neat things with that. And so we've had to change to keep up with that as well. Um, you know, when I first started, it was purely still photography. That was it. And as, like, within about a year, uh, the very first DSLR video came out. And so we, we snagged it, and it's just been a strong push toward video ever since. So that's, that's probably our biggest area of growth and sort of equipment acquisition, um, you know, trying to keep up with a very quickly changing uh, game, if you will. Have you, I wonder if you've had any of those challenges here, if you had other stuff you wanted to mention while Jared's around? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's true. I mean, we're, we're in the Wrapped Media office right now. Uh, we deal with video every day, um, and more. what we're seeing is a lot more and more stuff online is moving into that video space, um, and it is. It's incredible because people will sign up for a free account and they will upload their, uh, they'll upload media that's of, sometimes of astonishing 
uh, level of um, production quality, um, just from free accounts, from just random people who have found us uh, via the internet. So that's really definitely true. And the the camera, um, I went, uh, did a hike with Andrea this weekend, um, and the camera on her iPhone 6 is astonishing. Yeah, it's, um, I think the point-and-shoot market's fallen prey to good iPhone yes. things like that because it's ridiculous what you see with iPhones. And I know that I've had um, people compare, you know, shots with their iPhone versus their a DSLR and have had questions like, well, why can I just do this with my iPhone? And... At a very basic level, you could say, well, yes, you can. <laughs> so that's, and that's never really happened before in the visual industry. Well, and there's an old adage that, you know, the best camera in the world is the one you have with you. And I think that's really uh, an important part of it, too, because in general, most people have their phones on them all the time, or certainly more often than they might carry a big, bulky camera around. And so... Um, you know, you may see the perfect opportunity for a photo. Bigfoot. <laughs> right. There you go. Something, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's so weird. This proliferation of iPhones does not turn up any extra footage no, of him. None. They're, they're no. smart creatures. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, you know, more people are just uh, able to take the photos that they want and the ones that are most frequent um, on, on the device they already own. So I agree. I think the, the point-and-shoot market is, I would hate to be a camera maker and trying to put new products in that market. Yeah, uh, yeah. Extremely difficult. You guys doing another Go Ruck? Uh, I don't have any in the plans. Uh, I was actually... Which really bums me out. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised. I watched the selection video and I thought you'd be in there. Uh, that's next year. <laughs> Bozeman? Bozeman. You'll be there with uh, all the people from HQ. Yep. So what was this, uh, the other GoRuck challenge that you did, the more intensive one? Yeah, so GoRuck has um, three levels of team events. Um, they also have one that's an individual event. But uh, as far as the team events go, they started out with what's called the challenge, which is now their sort of mid-level uh, event. That one's the 12-hour the one. Um, they also have... Uh, they bookend it with a what they call a light, which is roughly five or six hours. And then uh, on the uh, tougher side, they have one called a heavy. And so um, the heavy is roughly 24 hours, uh, more weight in the backpack, more miles covered, things like that. And someone came up with the idea to do them back to back to back. <laughs> um, and so you've got a heavy followed immediately by a challenge followed immediately by a light. And that was the event that I did. It's called an HCL for that. Um, and that was here in Boulder. Um, and that was, yeah, at the beginning of, of August. And I mean, it's, it's funny because it's so easy now to look back and say, yeah, it wasn't really that bad. You know, like there were, oh, holy cow, I'm going to forget the numbers. I want to say... 23 of us finished and of the people there were some people who were only doing the heavy some people were only doing the challenge and then one person who was only doing the light um and that's but, gonna be intimidating but i think yeah um but i think there were 26 or 27 
who were going to do the whole event. So we didn't have a whole lot of attrition through our class. And in fact, one of the cadre uh, afterwards said that he we he thought we were one of the stronger classes that he had had, had before. Um, and they've done thousands of these events. So, um, or I shouldn't say thousands, but just over a thousand of them. So, um, yeah, that was that was cool, and I think that that showed what we were able to achieve. You know, twenty three out of twenty seven or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great event, and um, you know, it's still part of a, a team building effort. Uh, there's a, a huge log that's on the side of Boulder Creek Path that I uh, sort of smile at and flip flip off every time I walk past it. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting um, the things that you do and and the connections that you make with people um, as as is evidence here. Well, I feel like we should thank Wrapped Media for letting us hang out, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we're in the, we're in our brand new lounge on the north side of the building. It's pretty neat. Um, there was one product that uh, slipped my mind earlier because you got me going down the gaming road. Um, uh, right now, I'm working on a product with my girlfriend, Andrea. Uh, we're putting together a deck of uh, mobility exercises for CrossFitters. Um, it's going to be uh, like a pack of cards. And so it's going to have 30 different movements in them, things you can do to keep your hamstrings loose, your hips loose, shoulders um, flexible. Um, and that should be coming out actually uh, next month or in December. That's awesome. So I want to make sure I didn't forget to plug that. Is that is that like a go? Or are you kickstarting it or what? Um, we're not going to kickstart it. We um, actually are going to hoping to. What's today? The today's the twenty ninth. Today's the thirtieth. Today's the thirtieth. Yes. Um, so we're hoping to get it to the printer by the tenth, and uh, we're going to have our website set up next week, so you'll be able to go on and pre-order just in time for uh, Christmas. Yeah. Oh, that's so convenient. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, hopefully, um, you know, if you've got CrossFitters in your family and you want a great stocking stuffer, uh, mobilityondemand.cards is our, dot cards. is our website. Yes. Dot cards is one of the new top level domains that you can, uh, you can purchase. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're working on the dot com, but we don't have it yet, <laughs> but awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jared. Yeah. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Thank you, Brianna. Yeah. Thanks for doing this, guys. Yep.